Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18 this morning. Luke 18, as we finish off this series called Desperate. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible. If you forgot your Bible or don't own a Bible, just grab one of these. If you, if you don't own one, take one of these home as our gift to you and go to Luke, Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. As you're turning there, as, uh, Matt and I, as we're in the hospital together, Matt, Matt was saying to me, he says, man, and, and it's kind of broken as he's trying to get words out. He says, when I get out of here, I got to get into shape. Um, just, and, and here's the funny thing. He, uh, because he wants to get in shape, he, <clears throat> he said to Becky, he goes, I need a special watch. I need this cool watch I'm going to get. So, so I mean, what are you going to do, right? He can basically ask for whatever he wants right now. And so they went to, they took an Uber to uh, Mount Kuma Co-op. They bought him this sweet, expensive workout kind of watch. And he's like, he's got his watch with him now. He's like ready to get in shape, right? He's like, but here's the thing. Like, when you think about getting in shape, I'm kind of the same I remember asking my wife, asking Libby, uh, one of my birthdays ago, saying, hey, could, you, could we, like, get P90X? Like, in 90 days to get ripped, that would be awesome, right? 90 days, and I'll be jacked, right? Well, P1X doesn't sort of do it the same way, right? I did not take 90 days. I tried it once, and it was done, right? It's like healthy. You know I'm going to grab another mic, because this thing isn't working. Is that all right? It's a new church. We're figuring stuff out, all right? Do I have to turn it on? It's all good. You can hear me? Okay, good. It's the same thing. Like, I, I, I want to eat healthy too, right? And so what do I do? I'm like, I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm going to start, start changing the way I eat. And then people will bring really good baked goods to the office. And that's done. I'm like, all right, done with eating healthy. I'm eating this stuff. Or, 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 or I, was, I was convinced of this too. I thought, as I get older, I need to, I need to stretch more. Because, I mean, I, I, can barely t- I can barely touch my knees, forget my toes, right? And, and I got daughters who can throw their legs over their heads. And I'm like, man, I want that. I want it. And so I had this great idea. I'm going to do a stretch routine. A stretch routine. Every morning I'm going to do it. And man, I, it was awesome for the two mornings that I did it. <laughs> And I don't know what it is about, about persistence, about, about perseverance, that unless we get to that place of desperation, of if I don't do this, bad things are going to happen, so I need to make some changes. And, and, and so often, unless it's that desperation, we, we struggle to persevere. And what I want to unpack this morning from Luke 18 is, is, is this idea of, of persevering in prayer, of being persistent in prayer. And, and I mean, think about it, how many of us find prayer to be hard? where it's difficult just to, to keep going. I mean, like that, that ongoing, pressing in, following God's call from Scripture that says, pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. Be, be devoted to prayer. I mean, what, why do we need persistence in prayer? Why is prayer so difficult? I mean, the, the truth is prayer is hard, and the truth is, is pursuing God can be hard because life can be hard. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know this, that, that this coming year, this fall, as we, go, as we go through the summer and into the fall, that for some of you, this may be the worst fall you go into. For, for some of you, it might be the best fall you'll ever experience. For, for some of you right here, right now, uh, I think it'd be safe to say for some of you, you'd be saying, you know what, right now is the darkest season I've ever been in. In the text this morning, we're going to see Jesus tell a story. It's, it's a parable he's going to tell. And parables are, are stories to make a point. They're, they're stories that have gospel truth in them. And he's going to tell this story. But look, look back at chapter 17. to get a bit of a context for this story. If you look at verse 20 of chapter 17, it says this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. So the Pharisees are going, hey, hey, when's the kingdom coming? 
Well, when is it going to happen? And he says this, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus saying, you're waiting for the kingdom to come. Jesus saying this, he's saying, I am it. I am here. I have come. But then he goes on for the rest of chapter 17, talking about what will happen when the kingdom comes, when he returns. So, so here's what's going on. Theologians would call it the yet not yet that we live in. We live in a time right now where, where Christ has come. He, he has paid the sacrifice for our sin, died on the cross, risen again so we could be set free. We can have relationship with God. So, so in that sense, the kingdom's here. You, you can be filled with the Spirit, kingdom here right now. But there's also the not yet where Jesus promises, I'm coming again. There, there's the not yet where we live in a world where we still see the pain of sin, where our hearts are still drawn to sin. Jesus says he's coming back again to wipe away every tear, to right every wrong. But for now, we live here. So we live in this yet, not yet. And, and man, don't you feel it some days? Where life can be so hard and in the midst of difficult circumstances, what do we do? And, and here's where the parable comes in, the story Jesus tells in chapter 18. And Luke, writing this, says this. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus is about to lay out this story for us, and the story is this. He's laying out a story so that we can be persistent, a story to help us persevere in tough times, to help us not give up, to help us not lose heart. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. It's this, pursue Jesus persistently and desperately. Maybe another way of saying that is, is I won't give up in prayer. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to lose heart. And, and I, I love that, that Luke here, he gives us what the parable is going to be about right away at the beginning. And, and I mean, it's so clear. Don't you read through scripture sometimes? You're like, man, sometimes it's hard to understand. And you kind of got to wrestle some things down. And I love it when a verse is so simple. You're like, oh, I get this. He told him the parable. Why? A parable to help us to, to pray and not lose heart, to, to not give up. Now, Jesus told a lot of these parables. And, and these stories typically were hard to understand. And, and, and people would be kind of confused by them. And his disciples would say, Jesus, what are you doing this for? Why are you telling stories that are hard to get? And, and Jesus says, I'm doing it for a reason. Because those who really want to understand will press in. They will pursue. They will seek me out. They will dig deeper. And, and really, that's the whole point of the Christian life, isn't it? that we would seek the Lord, that we would, we would dig in, that we would pursue Jesus. And this whole series we're in, these three-part series, has been about that. That we don't have a half-hearted pursuit, but that we recognize how desperately we need God's grace and his presence. So there's this desperate pursuit. Not desperate because our, our situation is desperate, but desperate because we realize that outside of God's grace, I have nothing. I need his grace. I need his power. And so, so being desperate is actually a good place to be then. Recognizing we're desperate is, is when we get to experience God's presence, God's power. In fact, self-sufficiency and pride are, are, are the roadblock that keep us from experiencing His presence and power. It's when we have this pride that says, I can do this on my own. I got this covered. Or, or pride that leads to anxiety that says, man, I, I can't make it. I, this is never going to change. God could never do anything in this situation. And Jesus is saying, in that moment, he's saying, hey, listen up. If, if you're in a place of losing heart, if, if you feel your hope is fading, if, you, if your circumstances are difficult, he's saying, here, listen, I've got hope for you. 
When the illness looks like it has the upper hand. When the relationship is strained and broken. When your finances are upside down. When the the dreams you had for your life seem to be crushed. When that phone call, that conversation, that email, that text, when it leaves you feeling numb and and you, you see your world growing darker, Jesus leans in in that moment and says, don't give up. Pursue me. Seek me out. Don't give up on prayer. In your weariness, in your discouragement, don't lose heart. He says this, look at verse 2. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On the earth. So, so Jesus tells this story. Let's unpack it a little bit. You have two characters in the story, right? You've got this judge, and the judge is the powerful one in the story, right? So you've got this powerful judge on one side. You've got a widow on the other side. She, she's the desperate one. She's the weaker one in the story. You've got a judge full of all power, has all resources. I don't know if you've ever been to court before, but there's just something about a judge. You kind of have that, oh, man, they, they have power, right? I remember going to court because I was, I was going there because the last minister I was in, there was a student who had a criminal record. And, and, and we had to go before a judge for him to cross the border because we're going on a trip. And, and I was supposed to stand there to say, hey, I'll vouch for him. If something goes down, it's going to be on me. I, I'll look after him. I've got this. And, and so I'm in court. I'm feeling pretty good about it until the judge does that. Could you stand up, please? And instantly I had this, oh, right? I was nine. It was a chocolate bar. Nobody knew, right? I just had that kind of feeling. I'm in trouble, right? It's just that weird, and just judges have power. But then you also have this widow in the story. And in Jesus' time, a widow would be one of the most vulnerable of society. She had no power. She had no resources. Often she would have no hope. And and Jesus, he's setting up this contrast, the all-powerful and the desperately vulnerable and this, this widow, she's in need. Something's gone wrong. She has an adversary against her. We don't know what happened. Jesus didn't unpack that part of the story, but maybe when, when her husband died, someone swooped in and took all the, all, all the inheritance. Maybe somebody's come in because she was vulnerable and they, they cheated her out of some stuff. She had nobody there to protect her and help her out. We don't know what it is, but she's, she's got a wrong that needs to be righted. And, and here's what's added to the problem. She's up against this with this jerk of a judge. Right? He, he has all the power, and yet Jesus says twice, twice he says he doesn't fear God, doesn't care at all about God. He, he feels he's the ultimate authority. There's no one above him, no humility, and he doesn't care about people. He, he, he's, the, he's the judge on the way to work. He's kicking puppies as he goes, right? That, that's this kind of guy, okay? He, he's watching TV, and the commercials come on of, of kids who are starving, and he kind of rolls his eyes and digs into the Doritos bag again and just keeps eating, right? That's, that's kind of this guy. You have this desperate widow, she's in trouble, and, and you think, man, there's the widow, there's a, what are her odds of getting help? But she's relentless. She's persistent. 
Look at verse 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. He's he's like, this this woman's beating me up. The the literal translation of beat me down, it's give me a black eye. It's like knock me out with her pestering. So so here's the thing. This widow is not, not just coming on her court date to talk to this judge, right? I mean, can you picture it? She's not waiting patiently. She's coming like every day. She's leaving messages with his, his administrative assistant. He, she, she's sending emails. She's leaving voicemails. She's, she's direct messaging him on Twitter and sending him messages on Facebook. She's writing on his Facebook wall until he blocks her from doing that, right? When that happens, she's going to his house, knocking on his door, throwing pebbles at his bedroom window at night to get his attention. And finally, finally, he's like, okay, enough. Fine, I'll, I'll give you what you want. And Jesus says that she gets her answer. Why? Because of her boldness, because of her, her shameless persistence. And Jesus is saying in this text, he's saying, pray like that. Pray shamelessly. Pray, pray desperately. In fact, he even says, Jesus, bother God with your request. You see the word bother there. He said, she, this widow keeps bothering me. And Jesus says, hey, pray like that. Pray that way. Now, now we're going to unpack the judge in a bit, so don't run ahead in the story and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's that, what's that make God? Does God represent the judge here? Jesus isn't teaching how God answers prayer here. I mean, if you think about how the judge answers, that's the way the world works, right? That's the way religion works. Do more, try to be perfect, do more good works, and hopefully if you do enough, that maybe God will pay attention to you, and the gospel says, no, no, that's not it at all. While you were sinners, Christ died for you while we were enemies, while we were broken. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is how you pray urgently, relentlessly, desperately calling out. The the whole point is we we pray as those who are desperate. Pray as those like this widow who know, "I, I can't supply any of this and I need God. He's the only one who can supply my needs. She's desperate. She has no other option. She has no power of her own. And we see that this this desperation creates a boldness in her. I mean, think think about what desperation does as far as boldness is concerned. If if you're out swimming in the ocean and a riptide starts to pull you out to sea, you you get a bit of boldness, right? You call for that lifeguard. You're like, help! You're 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 not drowning just saying, hey, lifeguard, excuse me. If you have time, maybe. I don't bother you, but I'd like not to die today, right? No, no, there's a boldness that comes out in you, right? And you're screaming, help! In desperation, you shamelessly, you boldly come to God. Jesus, pray that way with with that sense of urgency that, that God is your only source of hope. I mean, do you believe that? Do you pray like that's the truth, that God is your only source? Listen, I get it. Prayer is hard. Prayer can be so difficult, and it's difficult for a number of reasons. It's it's difficult because Satan hates it when we pray. He wants to stop us from praying. Prayer scares the devil. And so he's going to do everything he can to distract us from prayer. Have you noticed that you could could binge watch Netflix for three or four hours? You're like, hours? How about days, right? And you just go and not be distracted at all. But as soon as you say, I'm going to pray for a little bit, all of a sudden your mind wanders. Things happen. Things come in to distract now, I hear this all the time from, from parents of young kids. They're like, man, I, I, I've made a commitment. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. because my kids get up at 7. I'm going to get up at 6 to spend time with the Lord. And what happens every time? Our kids get up at 6 a.m. 
like the little demons, right? <laughs> Distracting me. Like, I'll get up at five. Boom, they're up at five. Like, what's going on? What, what Satan hates it when we pray. Scares him. Prayer is also hard sometimes because we're tempted not to believe in the power of prayer. I mean, I mean think about it. If, if we actually believed in the power of prayer, if we actually believed what God's word says about prayer, wouldn't it change the way we prayed? Wouldn't we pray a lot more? I mean, why, why do we stop at a gas station? We stop at a gas station because we believe in the power of fuel, right? And we know my car doesn't move unless I have this fuel. Well, what about prayer? We show a belief in the power of prayer when we have that same attitude of, I can't move forward unless I'm in communication, unless I'm connected to my Heavenly Father in prayer. Also, it can be hard sometimes because we don't realize that we're like the widow. Sometimes it's self-sufficiency that stops us from praying. We, we don't recognize that we actually are desperate people. We, we become distracted. We become self-sufficient. And, and our flesh fights against us taking that time to pray, and we don't pray. Do, I mean, do you see this in your life? Those moments you're like, man, I'm going to pray, and it's so difficult. I mean, I'm going to pray with my spouse, and all of a sudden your mind wanders or fear comes in or something. I, I'm going to pray for this person, and it's so hard. But listen, when, when we see the power of prayer, when we see how desperate we are, that I need Jesus today, I need his presence today, I need his power today, we call out in prayer. Now, there's a, a key verse in this story. Look at verse 6 and 7. Because we have to understand, if, if I'm like the widow, then, then what's this judge? Verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? So, so, so what, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, listen, listen. Jesus is saying, God, God the Father is not like the judge. But he's comparing, if, if this doughhead of a jerk of a judge who doesn't care about anybody, if he will respond to persistence. He says, how much more? How much more will, will God who loves you, will he be leaning in for you? I mean, think about it this way. God is not just a judge. God's our heavenly father. In fact, I would say it this way. We're not like a widow either. We're desperate like the widow, but we're not a widow to a judge. We're a child to a father in this relationship. What's it say? It says, will God not give justice to his elect? Don't get lost in doctrine of election. How's that all work? Just, just recognize this, that God has chosen you. He's elected you. He's, here's another way. He's adopted you into the family of God. I mean, if, if you're adopted, I mean, what a beautiful picture that is that, that you would understand that to a deeper level of what it means, that God would say, I choose you to make you my son and my daughter. changes everything. I mean, pr prayer really is about a relationship. When you start to understand what the relationship is, that, that I'm like a kid to a father, that changes how I interact. That ups the persistence a little bit, doesn't it? If you have kids, you, you know that persistent kind of asking, right? And kids can do that to their parents, but, but imagine you're at your workplace and one of your people you work with, your coworkers, start asking you like your kids do and they start tugging on you. Can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I? That would be odd. You're not allowed to ask me like that. You're not my kid, right? 
I mean, I've used this illustration over and over and over again, but, but, but the relationship changes everything. Like if my kids wake me up at 2 a.m. for a glass of water, I will get them a glass of water. If you phone me at 2 a.m. to tell me you're thirsty, all right, you're love, but I'm hanging up, all right? I mean, even if Libby wakes me up at 2 a.m., all right, don't judge me, bro, all right? And, and she asks her, I'll probably be asking her if her legs are broken, right? But, but, but your kids, your kids can ask. Jesus, over and over again, this is how you communicate because you're a son or a daughter. Jesus says, pray this way, our Father who's in heaven. Over and over again, God, when, when he's praying, he's always praying to his Father. You know, there's, there's only one time in Scripture we read so clearly that Jesus doesn't call out to God and doesn't call out to him as Father. It's when he hung on the cross. When he took the penalty of our sin, what's that penalty? The penalty of sin is separation from God. And when Jesus, in that moment, when he took on our penalty for us in our place, he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not my father, the relationship broken, but, but Jesus in that moment takes the penalty that we deserve on himself for us so that we put our faith in him. We now can call the creator of the universe our father. Our Father, the one who has the resources that, that we don't have. And so we desperately keep pursuing. And we say, God, I, I don't have a plan B. You're it. You're my hope. You're my source. You're my power. You're my only help. So I'm coming again. I'm asking again. I'm seeking again. And when you drop all your self-reliance and you start to see who you are compared to who God is and you realize the power you need in your life, the grace you need in your life, and you start to realize the relationship you have with God, your prayer life changes. You start to rest in his plans, in his provision. His presence becomes what you seek after. We say, God, I'm coming again. Why? Because I need you. More than money, I need your spirit right now to, to grow in me contentment and faith for what I have. More than a change in my circumstances, I, I need your spirit to enable me to, to, to persevere, to be able to see that I, I can be assured that I'm your child, that I trust you. More than you need a relationship in a relationship for, the, for that other person to change, you need the Spirit of God as a part of your life to grow you in supernatural love and patience and forgiveness. And so we can come boldly into the throne room of the creator of the universe, the ruler of everything we see, the one who holds it all together, the one who's worthy of all praise and glory and honor, and we come to him and we ask him for whatever we need. And he doesn't hold anything back. Why would I say that? Because he gives us himself. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, right now, do, do you need God's power? Do you need God's presence in your life right now? My question is this, does your prayer life show that? That you would recognize that you're not just getting together for a little kumbaya and coffee with Jesus, but you're actually calling out to the one who can heal, who can restore, who can change, who can empower, who can move mountains, who can raise to life that which was dead. That's what prayer is. And so we pursue Jesus desperately. I won't give up in prayer. Here's our second point. It's the last one. We only have two this morning. It's this. We pray faithfully. 
We pray faithfully. Another way to say that is, I trust my God completely. I mean, we see in this parable that we have this desperate need. And and again, God's not like this judge. God loves you. God cares for you. God loves your presence. He loves when we call out to him and we can trust him. We're persistent in prayer because we believe, we trust that, God, you have the power. God, you are the source. And God, we trust that you love us. And so because of that, we're going to faithfully keep praying. But here's where prayer gets really difficult. Look at verse 7. It says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Verse 8 says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? When you pray, it feels like, God, it feels like you are delaying. God, it feels like you aren't answering. There, there are some times that, God, it, it feels like you're not even present in this. Like, like, where are you in the midst of this trial? But here's the thing, if, if we give up on praying, we miss out on the answer. If we stop in persistence because we feel like, God, you're too slow, we miss out on what God might be doing. I, I was reminded of this as I was reading a bit about George Mueller this week. You know, whenever I think about prayer, I always go to this guy, George Mueller. He was a, a guy in the 1800s who ran these orphanages in England, and he has thousands and thousands of recorded answers to prayer, where he just lived his life desperately dependent on the Lord for everything. Never asked for money, always had enough for the orphanage. Never asked for food, always had enough food. I mean, just, God just took care of this guy in a unique way. And, but he, he tells this story, he writes in his journal, in 1844, he writes in there that he wants to start to daily pray for these five people. He writes their names down. I'm going to pray for these five people every day. And he's praying that they would, they would come to an understanding of who Jesus is, that they would give their lives to Christ. And he starts praying every day. Eighteen months later, one of them comes to Christ. Then, five years later, the second one. Six years later, the third. Thirty-six years later, the other two still not giving their lives to Christ. And he wrote this in his journal. He wrote, Talked about them not coming to Christ. They, they, they were two sons of a friend of his that he was praying for, and he said this, but I hope in God. I pray on, I look for the answer. They're not converted yet, he says, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years later, I mean, I, I can barely pray for a week for some things, right? 52 years later, both of them come to Christ. Wait for it, after George dies. 52 years. He, he didn't get to see his prayers answered, but one, it says, came to Christ at his funeral. The other later on. So here's what I imagine. I imagine George Mueller in heaven. Can you imagine what that reunion's gonna be like? You guys made it too! I've been, my whole life, every day I called out, persistent, bugging the Lord that he would redeem you, that he would save you. And, and listen, I, I don't understand why God sometimes in his sovereignty chooses to work quickly and sometimes slowly. And sometimes he says no, and I don't know why. I mean, there are times where I, I've, I've begged on my knees for people to be healed and, and, and prayed and fasted for God to do something, and, and, and they end up going home to him. And other times that prayed and fasted and called out, and, and for some reason, God would heal them. I mean, did I pray better on the one and worse on the other? Was, was, was my heart in a better place for one than the other? Was something that I was missing? I don't think so. 
there's this mystery to prayer that, that we're just going to have to be comfortable with as, as the kids, as we call out to our Father, God, God I, I don't get everything you do, but I'm going to trust you because I'm the child in the relationship. I mean, is God sovereign? Yeah, he, he, he has control over every cell, every atom that exists in the universe. He's sovereign over it all. So you can ask, well, then why do I pray at all if God's in control? Because for some reason, God has ordained that, that he accomplishes his will through the prayers of his people. And so we join with God in what he's doing. Why? Because he asks us to. And we come boldly. We, we approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we know we're loved. Because we know we're delighted in through Christ. We know we are his kids. We know that God commands us to come to him. God says, bother me with your requests. Keep asking. Keep pastoring. Keep pressing in. And then what do you do? We trust that he's at work. We trust that he's, he's at work, that he's doing things for his glory, for our good, that he's, he's accomplishing things sometimes so far beyond our grasp of knowledge. In fact, it was, it was Pastor Matt in the hospital when we first went to see him. On Sunday, he couldn't talk. On Monday morning, he started to be able to get some words out, and, and he called me in close. And we were talking a bit about some people he's walking with. And, and he said while he was in bed, he's praying and thinking about you guys a lot. And he said this, as he was thinking about people who were wrestling with the Lord, um, he said through, through his broken, just trying to force it out, <clears throat> he said, peace doesn't come because we know what God's doing. It comes because we trust in his sovereign care. And he said, I've got peace. That's where you see prayer and faith linked. We call out to God in prayer. Prayer is us asking. Faith is us waiting. In fact, I like in Luke 11, Jesus tells another couple of stories to kind of illustrate what it is to pray. And, and he says, you keep asking. He also says, keep knocking. Keep knocking till you wake your neighbor up who's inside because he has what you need. And he says, just keep knocking. And I started thinking about knocking on doors. And I started thinking when I was a kid, there were some kids in my neighborhood, they weren't really good kids. And they played a thing called Nicky Nicky Nine Door. Super bad kids. I never did it. Okay, I did. Every 13-year-old boy, I think, has done it, right? You guys don't know what Nicky Nicky Nine Door is? I don't know if you call it that. I, that's what we called it, where you go up to the person's house, you ring their doorbell or knock, and then you run and hide. It's, I don't know, it kind of jacks you up as a 13-year-old. You think it's the coolest thing ever. Ah, we weren't there. They thought we were, ah, right? I think sometimes, I think we play Nicky Nicky Nine Door in prayer, where we go and we knock. We don't get the answer right away, so we leave. God comes to the door later, opens it up, and says, where are you? I was ready to do a work. I was ready to answer your prayer, and now you're not here. Just because you had to wait longer than you thought. You know, again, I was thinking about Matt in the hospital. One of the nurses that's working with Matt, a guy named Kevin, and, and Matt noticed it, that he had a, a cross tattooed on his body. I didn't see it, but Matt saw it. So he just says, he says, are you a Christian? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. When did you come to know Christ? Oh, when I was like 12. Oh, and then Matt says, well, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And the guy goes, I don't know, because I, I guess I don't read my Bible very much. I go, oh, okay, and then later on, Matt, Matt grabbed him and said, hey, having Jesus, how does it change the way you're a nurse as you work with vulnerable people? 
He's like, well, uh, uh, and he looked confused again. So, so he, he leaves, and I lean into Matt, and I said, I don't think he's really walking with the Lord, bro. And he look, looks at me and goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so he's working on this guy. Well, here's what happens. He comes back uh, the next uh, couple of days. He comes back to see Matt, and he says, Matt, i got to talk to you. Um, and he says, I, I went home, and I talked to my wife about you. And, and I, said, I said, there's this guy laying in a bed. He can't even move, can barely talk, and... And he's asked me about my relationship with Jesus, and he's asked me about the, what book of Bi- the Bible that I would say is my favorite. And, and he said to his wife, he says, man, i, I, I got to come back to the Lord. i got to start getting back into the Word. I mean, i got to rekindle that fire that used to be in me. His wife, he's telling Matt this, he goes, my wife burst into tears. And, and as tears streamed down her face, she says, I've been praying for years that this would happen. I've been praying for you that, that, that you, you, would, you would pursue Jesus again, that you would, you would lead us as a family again, you would be in the word again. She says, I've been praying for years for this. Now imagine that. Here's a wife praying, persistently praying, calling out to God. Keeps going. And, 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 and what did the Lord do? <laughs> I mean, it, it took years. It, 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 took, it took taking a, a big, burly pastor of counseling to, to immobilize him and fly him in a helicopter to, to a hospital bed for him to then meet with this nurse to encourage this nurse in the Lord. God's doing something. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to wait. Patience is so difficult, isn't it? I mean, hands up. How many people struggle with patience here, right? right for sure. And if you didn't raise your hand, hands up those who lie, okay? Right? <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? to wait for the Lord and, 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 and when, when, when God sometimes seems like the judge in this text and, and you're praying and the answer doesn't come or, or maybe the answer is no. And, you, and you've heard all the church responses when, when the answer is no or when it's taking a long time. You've heard people say, well, well maybe you just don't have enough faith or, or, or maybe God's doing something else and you don't know about it or, or maybe God's adjusting your will to his will. And listen, some of those are good biblical answers. But if, if you've been in that desperate place of praying and not seeing an answer, even those answers don't help a ton. And listen, I, I, I'm not up here this morning to say, I've got the answer for you. Here it is. This is why God sometimes answers prayer fast, sometimes slow, sometimes no. I, I don't have an answer for you, but I do have something that you can grab a hold of. You, there is something that is solid to stand on, and it's this. You're praying to your Father. And your father's good. And he gives good gifts to his children. The, the only answer in that, in, that, in that dark night of unanswered prayer that will, will hold up your soul is this. The father is good. We have to see in those moments of doubting what we're actually doubting. What we're actually saying in those moments of doubt is, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're a good father. I don't trust that you want the best for me. But listen, even in those places, those dark places we get to, I love it that that we can call out and say, Jesus, you get this, don't you? You understand this. Jesus understands hearing the father say no. In fact, as the ushers come forward, as we end off this morning, they're going to come forward with, with communion. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're, we're, I want to unpack a bit about where, where Jesus was in this moment. And, and communion is an amazing opportunity for us as Christ followers to remember the death and resurrection of Christ. 
And then as the, the trays go by you, they're just going to start handing it out right now. As they go by, their, their cups are stacked up on top of each other. You grab them both, the bread's in the bottom cup. And if you're a follower of Christ, this is an opportunity for you to, to remember, to reflect on the death of Christ. If, if you don't know Jesus, this really isn't for you. It's not, it's not something that, that you, you would do. Now, here's what you can do if you don't know Christ. One, you can, you can participate by seeing others as they're remembering this, as, as God's doing a work in their hearts. Or, or, listen, this is the better part. Maybe this morning you can say, this is for me. I'm the desperate widow. I need the power of God today. And you, you give your life to Christ saying, I'm going to trust in what you did on the cross for me. As the ushers hand this out right now, there was that moment where, where the greatest no ever happened to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night before he was crucified, the night he was arrested, and he, he was facing the reality of the cross, the weight of it on his shoulders. And, and it wasn't the, the looking forward to the pain of what it would be, and I'm sure the pain was excruciating, horrific. It wasn't even looking forward to being abandoned by all his friends and family. I mean, even right there as he was praying, his friends, the ones closest to him, had already abandoned him. They fell asleep when they're supposed to be praying and watching. More than that, Jesus was looking forward because he understood what it was going to be to take on the sin of the world. The father turning his face away. The son who knew no sin was going to become sin for us. And he, and he cried out three times in the garden, no, take this away. I don't want to go through this. In fact, he prayed this, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of judgment pass from me. Then he said, but not my will. Your will be done. He's saying, Father, if there's any other way for the world to be saved, for people to experience this, if there's any other way, please, 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 not this. Stressed as he prayed, stressed to the point of sweating blood. And the father said no. And, and Jesus walked out of the garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, your will be done. Now, how could he do that? How in the moment of such a dark time where he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God says no, how does he walk out saying your will be done? He did it because he was convinced, utterly, completely convinced of the goodness of the father. His relationship was so deep and, and intimate. It was, it was cultivated in prayer so that in that Gethsemane moment, and, and we all will have those or have had them, he could say, I trust you. I trust your will, Father. So, so in those hard places where, where even where it feels like, God, I don't even know you're here. I can't even feel your presence. We can say, God, but you're good. And listen, I'm not just trying to give you a trite Bible answer, something to just say as a mantra. No, no, to get yourself, your heart to that place, you have to wrestle and fight, a fight of faith to get there, desperately holding on by faith. God, I trust your goodness. This is what sustained Matt and Becky as Matt lays helpless on a hospital bed. Which is, God, you're good. And I'm in your hands. Our theology drives how we see this. If, if we trust that God is good and gracious and all-wise, if we trust that, that he is all-powerful and he's our heavenly father, then as, as difficult as we may find ourselves in a situation, 
we keep pursuing. And as we pursue, our faith grows. And Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Then he says this, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, because when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will we harvest have that kind of faith? A faith that knows when, when, when Jesus returns, when he gathers us together. In that moment, we'll be able to see, we'll be able to see even the trials we've had through life where, where, where God did not say yes, where God waited. In that moment, as he comes back and he gathers us together, we will be able to say, God, you never let me down. Not even 1%. We'll be able to look and see, God, 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 there's nothing for me to complain about. You're good and gracious. Listen, it's a fight of faith to wrestle our hearts to that place today. And it comes through a persistent, desperate pursuit and trust of God as our good Father. Living like we're kids, knowing, God, you've got me. I can rest in you. I can pursue you. You are my only hope. My hope is not in the answer. My hope is in you. So as we end off this morning, we end off with the greatest evidence of God's love for us. That God gave his son for us. That we could know him as a good, good father. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be adopted. So we could be changed. So that we could know that he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And so, so we celebrate that this morning. We remember that this morning in, in just a unique way. As we have the cup that represents his blood poured out for us. The bread that, sh that reminds of his body that was given for us. So you hold the bread and the cup this morning. And if, if you're in a place where it feels like, God, I don't know if you're answering me. You can look to the cross and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, I know you love me. And I can even trust you with the no answers. I mean, the bottom line for us is this. Do we trust him? the hope we have, the anchor for our soul is not knowing and understanding everything that's happening. The anchor for our soul is trusting. God, you're a good father. I give you this. I can trust you. And, and when you're in that deep, that, that deep, dark garden and, and even yourself, you're going, man, man, I don't know if I can even seek him anymore. You can hold on to the truth that Jesus says, I'm the one doing the seeking. I've come to seek and save the lost. He's pursuing you this morning. Before we partake together, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you, right where you're at right now, if you just bow your head, close your eyes, just as a way to concentrate. For some of us today, maybe the thing you need to pray about is, God, I, I don't think I do trust you. I have a hard time believing you delight in me. So maybe right here where you're at right now that you would, you would call out to God. You'd spend a minute just saying, God, would you move in my heart? Would, would the reality of your love for me become real? As I see the cross, would I be awakened in the depth of my soul of your love for me? know Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that first step of desperation where you say, I, want, I need you. I want to follow you. And maybe right now you just spend a, a moment asking God to stir in your heart, to stir in your mind. 
God, would you grant me belief? Would you ignite a passion in me? God, would you do that work right now? Maybe for others, you're here and you're, you're walking in unconfessed sin, ongoing secret sin. And, and you haven't confessed it to God that, that you would take this moment right now Say, Lord, would you restore the joy of my salvation? Or maybe there's a prayer request you've been asking over and over again. As you hold the cup and the bread, you take a moment and saying, Lord, I'm coming again. I'm knocking again. I'm asking again. I'm, per I'm pursuing again. I'm leaning in again. God, I see the cross and I see the love you have for me, so I'm coming again saying, Lord, I know you love me. I trust you with this, but I have to give it to you again. Bring it to him now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be moving even right now, among us, God's stirring our hearts. And I pray that as we see your cross, we'd have a, a greater awareness of our brokenness, our desperation, our sin. And because we see that and we see what you've done for us, God, that your grace would be so much more clear. God, where there is not salvation in those this morning, God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. I thank you that you've, you've invited us in. You've invited us to pursue you, to bug you, to, to plead to you because of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, you delight in us. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that we, we never overstay our welcome. Thank you that we never actually bother you, but you love to hear from us. And that you're a father who knows the voices of his kids and you turn an ear to our requests. Lord God, would you grow us even now in our trust for you? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna take communion together. It says on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is, this is my body given for you. This is Eat this in remembrance of me. So let's eat together. He said in the same way, he goes, that this cup, it's, it's like my blood poured out for you. and It's a, the cup of the new covenant. I love that. The new covenant that says we now have boldness to enter into the throne room, that we can plead with God, that God is now our Father because Christ's blood shed for us in our place. Does every time you drink it, remember this. Let's drink together. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you that we do have a foundation. We do have a rock to stand on. God, that we can trust in you. That Lord, when, when our circumstances look dark, when it looks bleak, Lord, it's not the answers that we need to, to put our hope in. But God, our hope is in you. 
It's good to be trusting in you. There's peace, there's joy, and there's hope. And it's all because of you, Lord Jesus. And I pray this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this together.